Let me just start um, this morning relating an experience I had towards the end of last week. I found myself um, in YouTube looking at uh, videos, and this particular guy I was watching, maybe six, five, six, seven, eight-minute videos, and he's he's a street witness, almost like um, Ray Comfort or um, what's his name, the other guy, Kirk Cameron might do. And he's on college campuses, and he is uh, at, like, state fairs, and he's got a video camera and a microphone, and he's sharing Jesus with people. And all these people, I mean, all of them, he didn't, he didn't run across a Christian in the bunch. He ran across a bunch that thought they were, and it was breaking my heart. It was scaring me. It was like, oh, my gosh, Lord, all these people, uh, hey, it's okay. I grew up in the church. They would profess themselves to be Christian. And then in the very next sentence, they would deny their faith, not even realizing that they were denying their faith, not having any sense at all for being Christian. They, they thought they were. I mean, there's a huge, huge deception. People would argue with him, and he would, he would share with them Scripture, but this is what the Bible says, and they would argue with him. And then people around would start screaming and yelling, and, you know, you're just a hater, and it's amazing to me. It was so convicting to me. I... <laughs> I'm, I'm a Facebook evangelist now. I, I, I put a thing on Facebook. It's like, man, it, you know, if you, if you want to talk about Jesus, if you wonder about Jesus, if you think you know but you're not positive, please call me. Nobody call, I mean, it's been a day now, but but nobody called me, so I put up another one. It's like, seriously, I've been watching these videos, and, and these people think they know Jesus, but they really don't. Please call me call me, somebody call me. And I'm going to figure out a way, uh, you know, to get past my chicken line. And I'm going to go talk to people because they think they know and they don't. They really don't. Somehow that's going to tie into this sermon. I'm not sure yet, but I'm sure it will somehow. So just for the way of review, for folks that haven't been through my four-month trip through the gospel here, we're at the place of, we, we talked about the gospel. The gospel is that people can, that are dead to God can become alive to God. But the gospel is specific. And there's context that wraps around it. I mean, a person can't get saved that doesn't believe in God. They have to believe in God. I, I won't re-preach all that stuff, but just, just to give you some context for today. So the gospel is specific. It can't be added to and it can't be subtracted from and still be the gospel that has the power to save. It's specific. And then the Bible teaches that there's a way that a person responds to the gospel that's specific. They can't just ask Jesus into their heart and go to heaven. They ask Jesus into their heart, and then they stand on their judgment day, and, and Jesus says, I don't know you. Because there's a specific response that has to be made in order for someone to actually gain the benefit, the saving benefit of what Jesus did on the cross. And then we talked about Holy Spirit baptism. Praise God, Nancy. Speaking in tongues, come on. It's the power of God. It's so beautiful. And then last week, we're now talking about, okay, I, I just, I got saved. Like kind of pretending like we're, we're going through this ourselves. I got saved. What should my life look like? You know, what should I expect? How should life be as a Christian? Now, a lot of that we should have gotten an understanding for as we went through 
you know, the gospel and the response to the gospel. But now, now we, we got, we, we done got us born again and we're about to live life with Jesus. And last week, interestingly, I would have never, honestly, I believe absolutely as the Lord to think of priesthood as a way to start the conversation of what your life looks like. I'll um, just give you two scriptures and, and just a little bit of background on last week's sermon that will lead us into this week's. So the priesthood was was the way the Lord showed me to introduce us to how we live. And we talked about this guy, Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Lord Most High. He's kind of, to me, the most mysterious guy in the Bible. He's an Old Testament figure that's also referenced in the New Testament, but he's pre-law, pre-Moses. Um, he is a priest. And then we see when the law comes into place and... Um, the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, that 11 of those tribes had a portion of the promised land, but, but the 12th tribe, the Levi, the tribe of Levi, doesn't have a, a place. There's no plot of land that's made for them. Their job is to be the priesthood within God's people. And as priests, they offer sacrifices. That's what the priest does, offers sacrifices to God, specific sacrifices for specific issues that needed to be dealt with. Then Jesus comes, and he's high priest, but he's not a Levite. A Levite, he's of the tribe of Judah, yet he is an eternal high priest, not again of the of the Levitical order, but of the Melchizedek order. And he, as high priest, is tasked with offering sacrifice, and the sacrifice that he offered was himself. Now that Jesus has lived the perfect life, offered himself as the spotless sacrificial lamb of God been received by God as an acceptable sacrifice for the sin of mankind, we know that because of the resurrection, we know that the wage of sin is death. And had Jesus any sin, that death would have had a a claim on him. But because he had no sin, death couldn't hold him. So we know that by his resurrection, once and forever, sin has been dealt with by Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that every human being gets saved because Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice a person must still rightly respond to the gospel in order to have Jesus' righteousness applied to their account and their sin applied to his, but that's a different sermon. Then you read into the New Testament, the church, those that have actually made that response to the gospel are called um, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Again, we see that we, the the church, are priests, and and the role of the priest is to offer sacrifices. So in um, 1 Peter 2.5, You also, you, church, you know, born-again people, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That's awesome. What would that look like? I mean, what would my sacrifice be as a holy priest? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 answer that question. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, church, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So my question to start the conversation today is, What's your perspective on the scriptures? All these people in these videos had a perspective on God. 
but none of them were consistent with the truth. Maybe a little smidgen of truth or a little smidgen of truth, but they had no concept. They had no knowledge, real knowledge of God. They had a false knowledge of God. So ask yourself, you don't have to answer it, but ask yourself, what do the scriptures mean to me? Do I care? Seriously, do I care? Is my life, this is the second question, how do you perceive your life? Because, see, if you perceive your life as I recognize that I had sinned, I recognize that my eternal destiny was separate from God in hell, thank God for Jesus, I prayed a prayer, I got saved, that's taken care of, now I'm going to live my life, right? You know, I don't know about this scriptures thing, but I'm going to live my life, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and be with God, and I'm glad that I don't have to go to hell. That could be your perspective. Or is your perspective from the scriptures? You know what the scriptures say about your life. Because the scriptures say that if you're a Christian, you don't have a life. You're a dead guy to yourself. Right? That's what Ashley did this morning. She, before all of those people at the Freedom Center, declared to the world, I'm dead to myself. She went into the water. I'm resurrected in Jesus Christ. My life is now hidden in Christ, and when you see me, you should see him. What does he look like? Well, she needs to get about knowing what he looks like. She has a sense. She needs a better sense. It lives in here. She has now been reconciled to God. She's been born again. Her spirit's no longer dead. When God looks at Ashley, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So what do the scriptures mean to you? Interesting, but I don't understand them. What's your life? Is it your life? Is it Jesus' life? What, what does all that mean to you? And, it, and that's important questions, and, and I'll show you from these scriptures why. What the Bible says is that when Ashley, I'm mean, going to just use her as a sermon illustration. It's, it's handy for me right now. I hadn't thought about it, but it's working good for me so far. Ashley was resurrected from dead into a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices to God. And, and, and she should. She, she may not be quite, you know, mature enough to understand all this just yet, but to some sense, she should be asking God, what is it that you require of me, Lord? What is it? And, and his response to her is that you would offer yourself, your body, which is something that that's the world doesn't treat as holy. It's, it's offered to the world. It's offered to lust. It's offered to passion. It's offered to comfort. It's offered to pleasure. They offer their bodies to everything but not wholly and acceptable to God as a living sacrifice. And that's what Ashley should be finding out from the Lord, that her body is now to be set apart for his purposes, mm-hmm. that, that she now belongs to him. And, and what she'll find out, which actually she's already finding out, is that that's better. She fought me. I mean, oh, my gosh, fought us. She fought. You don't understand. You know, I want to be a devil. I mean, I'm a demon. I, you can't imagine where she's come from. Scary stuff. To the place like, honey, when she first came, your identity is not a girl with one ear. She laughed. She's like, you don't understand. Because, see, in the orphanage, they beat the crap out of her. They made fun of her. They, they kicked her and punched her and, and laughed at her. And she said, it'll be a cold day in some place before I ever. But I want to wear my hair up. Ashley, wear your hair up. I can't. You can. That's not how you're defined. I can't. You can. I'm seriously. Except she can. Why? Because she's free. Because she doesn't live in the bondage of somebody else telling her who she is. Amen. She's learning who she is. And you could, I mean, don't. <laughs> but you could, you could make fun of her ear. 
and it ain't going to be the same like it was before. That old lion spirit's going to try to get in her head, but the live spirit has got a whole different story to tell now. That's what this is. It's real. It's real. That's what freedom looks like. New life. Oh, man. Okay. So, honestly, you know, I think God told me to, to, to teach what Christian life looks like through the lens of the book of James, and that's what we're going to do. And I told you we're going to do one chapter a week, but it turns out it's going <laughs> to probably take a little longer than that since I'm going to get at about two verses today. <laughs> Let me start. And, and the way I'm going to do it is like we do it in the Bible study. We're going to read James. I'm not going to expound on everything. I'm only going to expound unless the Lord has me, but... My, my thought is only to expound on those things that reflect Christian life, which is pretty much most all of James. So let's start in James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. So, you know, in Paul's letters, there's long greetings. In James, you get a sentence because James is a to-the-point kind of a guy. The Lord is using him. He says to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, have you ever heard the word diaspora? Diaspora? It's the Greek word that's translated here to dispersed. And it, he is writing to people who are persecuted. And the reason they're dispersed is because this Christian church was born in Jerusalem and then persecuted. And, and to avoid persecution, these people have gone. And, and they're struggling and he's writing them this letter about how you're supposed to live despite the fact that you're in all these trials and all these struggles. Well, it, it's interesting. <laughs> Most scholars believe that God was behind the diaspora, the disbursement, because he, through his son, gave them a commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Told them what to say, told them what to do, and they all stayed home. They had their happy little church, and it was all okay, except for they weren't supposed to just Christianity live in Jerusalem forever. The missionaries had to go, and they, they believed that, that the persecution, God allowed it so that they would run, and they would actually get that word out someplace other than where it is. So here's an example of a trial in the kingdom being used to advance God's will. Okay, so that's what today is about. It's trials, it's tribulation, it's testing. If we continue on now, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James says hello, and then he says this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's interesting. You should all write sermons. Whether you ever preach them or not, you shouldn't. It's amazing how God teaches you in sermons. When we talk about testing and trials, it's always from James 1, 2 through 4. But if you look in um, Romans 5, 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul has a very similar message. He says this, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we see uh, James telling us to be joyful in these trials that are coming our way. He tell, uh, we see Paul telling us uh, that the tribulations are bringing about all this awesome stuff, and that's 
kind of the point of what they're trying to say is the issue is not the trial. The trial is for a purpose to bring about something in our lives, Christ-likeness, godliness in our lives, that we might be fruitful in our walk for the Lord while we have an opportunity to be fruitful. Now, nobody really likes trials and tribulations too much, right? I mean, our flesh doesn't like it. Um, I love the joy of Ashley's salvation. I love, I cried when she was baptized. I mean, seriously, it's so awesome. I love that her hair is up today. This is fruitfulness of, of the Lord. But there's been a few miles of bad road between, you know, two years ago and now. Tough road, trials and tribulations. Do you really believe that she can be saved? Do you really believe that, that this girl who's cursing and swearing and breaking things and slamming doors and, like physically threatening and all this kind of stuff, do you really believe that God is able to take that mess and turn it into this glory? Sometimes, you know, today it's pretty easy. (laughs) There were some days where it wasn't that easy, right, hon? I mean, there's lots of days like that. But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to understand what's going on. If we understand what's going on and we understand what comes from what's going on, not only do we not have to be distressed, we can actually be joyful in the trials. Now, I'm going to read you really quickly some scriptures just because you're not in this alone when you're in trials and tribulations, that the Lord is with you, and I want to encourage you, but this isn't the point of today's message. It's just stuff to help, okay? So very quickly, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. Now, temptation here is the same is translated from the same Greek word that James used when he said trials. So no trials, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. So when you're in this trial, you're not in there alone. It's not invisible to God. Remember, not a sparrow falls out of the sky without him knowing it. So he's actually watching you He's seeing you. He's to some extent or another ordaining the trials because he's allowing your faith to be tested and he is faithful. He's not going to allow the test to be greater than you can handle. You might say, I can't take it anymore, Lord. I can't take it anymore. Then look for the way out or stand in it because he's not going to allow something greater than you're able to stand. And a bunch of you have been through trials that you didn't think that was true, but you know now that it is. You got through the trial. Second Thessalonians, I always laugh when I say Thessalonians. I don't know if I say it funny, but it sounds funny to me. Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Again, he's faithful. He's your strength and he's your protection. If the evil one's messing with you, it's only to the degree that God is allowing it. For what purpose? The testing of your faith. For what purpose? To bring about perseverance and maturity in your life. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. You are his work. Your participation in his work is a faithful yes. Okay, now, this one pretends not pretends, but portends, it, it, it speaks to these videos that I've been watching. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus, our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So you're in a trial, you're in a tribulation, you're in, you're in the midst of one of these stormy things and you need grace and you need peace more. It's multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. You must know God to have peace. Your faith would acknowledge God and you will have peace. Grace and peace are multiplied. They're made bigger as you increase in your knowledge, in your knowing of God. Jesus said to the the Lord, Lord, guys, remember Matthew 7? He's like, I didn't know you. I, I, I appreciate your resume. I appreciate all this stuff that you did, but I never knew you. There was no grace and peace for them, not then, not forever, because they never actually had a knowledge of God. And those amazing things increase with our increasing knowledge of him. Okay, now, it says that he's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Again, through the knowledge of him. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what's happened to these people in these videos. 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is speaking of, of our warfare. I, I don't have these scriptures in here, but basically he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural in nature. We don't battle with baseball bats and knives and swords and guns. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the bringing down, the tearing down of strongholds or fortresses. These places, uh, these encampments in our worldview, in our mind, in our thinking that are owned by the enemy, things that, that we see through the lens of falsehood, but we don't realize it. We're deceived, okay? That's the weapons that we have, and that's the battle that we fight. Here's what he says in 10.5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, when you do spiritual warfare, what you're doing is you're battling for the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way. There's no way to the Father but through him. I am the truth. He is the absolute perfect representation of truth. And I am the life. There's no life outside of the truth that is in Jesus Christ, who's the way to the Father. See, our battle is for truth. And those people in the videos don't know the truth. They have no real knowledge of God. This other knowledge of, no, no, it's okay, God loves me, he does. I'm covered by grace. It's all right. God loves me. He would never send me to hell. Are you a good person or a bad person? I'm a good person. Where do good people go? They go to heaven. That's why I know. No, that's a lofty thing that exalts itself above a true knowledge of God. Do good people go to heaven? Some of them. Do good people go to hell? It depends on whose standard you're talking to. The standard is the perfection of God himself. Ask the question that way. Are you perfect as God is perfect? No. Then guess where your destination is hell? Game over. Without Jesus' righteousness having been imputed to you. See, so the battle is for truth. Anything. Anything that exalts itself above a true knowledge of God that won't stand obedient to Jesus Christ himself, every thought, every speculation has to be put down to the truth. Otherwise, we could just as easy be that person. 
We could just as easy, we go out and we share Jesus and somebody's like, oh, but what about, I, I told you about the guy in Milwaukee, what about his dad? He was an agnostic or an atheist, but he is the best guy I ever met. He's in hell, but he's a great guy. He was, I'm sure, by a man's standard, awesome. By God's standard, no, nobody meets it, nobody. That's why Jesus had to suffer and die so that everybody could have the righteousness required to be with God forever. That, that I'm a good guy, God, God understands, he knows my heart, BS, no. <laughs> yes, he does know your heart. It's wicked beyond, by his standard, not by your standard. It's his standard. So the battle is against truth or against falsehood for truth. That's what we're battling against. And all of us have to know the truth. If we don't know the truth, the liar will deceive us into thinking that, hey, I'm a good guy. God knows my heart. I try to do good stuff. Sometimes, you know, I could be better. It's like, yeah, we could all be better. But that's not the truth of how somebody gets to be in heaven with Jesus. Okay. Back to James. Let me read it for you again. Now I want to expound on it a little bit more. Consider it all joy, my brethren when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, your faith is what's being tested. When you're running uh, through a, you're you're walking, running, living through a trial, a, a hard, hard time as a Christian, God's not mad at you, and he's not punishing you. He's allowing it to test your faith so that you see where you're at. Seriously, I'm telling you, the stupid stuff that I get worked up over. (laughs) There's a guy at the racquetball club who likes the same shower as me. (laughs) Now, I confess it's not my shower. Anybody can use it, except, you know, if I'm already in there, then I'd like to use it by myself. But this guy will come in, he'll take, he's, he's like a girl, forgive me, 10 towels, you know, all his stuff and, and plop it in the shower and then he'll go sit in the sauna and the whirlpool and the cold one and 45 minutes later, nobody got to use that shower. I, I'm in the cold tub, guy comes in the hot tub. I'm like, you know what, I know that guy's got his stuff in my shower. I get up and march over there, and sure as anything, there it is. I'm like, you know, that's just rude. I'm going to take his stuff and put it right here on this wet floor. Seriously, I'm having these thoughts, right? Nah, that wouldn't be right. You're right. I'm going to take and throw it in the hot tub right next to him. Seriously, I'm battling with this. I mean, I'm supposed to be a Christian. Pray for me. I'm like, oh, no, no, that wouldn't be nice either. You know, what kind of witness would that be? But that guy needs to learn, so I'm going to take his stuff. There's these shelves. That's probably what these shelves are for. I'm going to put it on the shelf. No, I'm not going to do that either. If I really wanted to, why didn't I? What was I doing? I was offering myself as a living and holy sacrifice. You, it seems stupid, but I'm mad. My flesh has risen up. It's like, come on. That's so rude. That's what it means to put it down. The truth is that that guy is loved by God. And there's 27 other showers, and the difference is probably this much. Why did I tell you all that? When you face trials of many kinds, (laughs) there's a reason for this. What's being tested is my faith. My faith is that I'm not to return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't know exactly how that's working, but at least I'm not 
returning evil for evil is evil is, you know, using my shower and the scale of evil. It's probably down near the bottom someplace. But the point is that's, that's how we live. We have to be confronted. How did I know not to go take the guy's stuff and throw it in the tub? Because I know what God says, and his spirit's inside of me convicting me. And it doesn't say don't put the guy's towel in the tub next to him, right? But it does say if somebody does something that you don't think is good to you, don't do that back to them. Overcome that thing with a good thing. Find some way to bless that person. Yeah, so what's being tested is your faith. It's not punishment from God. He's not angry at you. It's the testing of your faith that you might become to be more like Jesus. Maturity, perfection, no lack. And remember in uh, Romans, Paul said that it brings about proven character. It might have been my towel. (laughs) Or snapping it. Ow, Jesus, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, enough of your locker room humor. Love of God, not so much of, I call the guy Zen master. That's probably not nice either. I need to repent right now. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask him his name next time I see him. That's what I'm going to call him from now on. I'm sorry. It's really a serious message. Think about that. It's like, how do you see your life? How do you see the scriptures? Are, are, they, are they there? And when you see them, see, I don't, I don't concern myself so much with the bad thought. I concern myself with the response to the bad thought. Amen. The bad thought is, is Ephesians 6. It's flaming arrow. It's flesh. It's all the flesh is dying. It's got to go. I know it exists. I wish it didn't, but it does. What, what I concern myself with is how did I respond? Did I or didn't I? Did I humble myself before the Lord and say, man, I'm sorry. This is not the way I'm supposed to think. Will I confess it to the church? Kind of, yes. The point is, is this telling you how to live your life? And then when it tells you, are you saying yes? Because that's how you are a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God is to take what he's told you to do and then present yourself to him this way. Okay. Um, here's how you, here's a way, <laughs> here's a way you can know. If, if you're in a trial, there's two ways that you pray typically if you're in a trial. If you see your life as your life, then this is how you pray. You say, Lord, Deliver me from these trials and these tests, these things that are causing me pain and discomfort, these things that that I don't find any enjoyment in. Lord, deliver me from these trials. But if you understand that there's a purpose, that your faith is being tested and that there's a work being done in you, then the prayer that you pray is, Lord, deliver me through these trials and tests. I don't want to come out in the middle to avoid the rest of the test because something in the rest of the test is going to change something in me. So the prayer to the mature, or all of you now, because I told you, that the Christian isn't, Lord, get me out of this hot water. It's, Lord, if you're using this hot water to refine me, then everything that you desire, Lord, I trust you. My faith is in you, Lord. I believe your word is true and that you are going to complete a good work that you started in me, that you're not mad at me, you're not punishing me. All of my punishment happened at the cross. Jesus bore my punishment. This is discipline. This is testing. This is maturing and and persevering unto. That's what this is. Lord, don't deliver me from, but deliver me through. 
And all those scriptures I said aren't the point. All those things are what's happening so that you can be delivered through, not delivered out of. Okay? All right. Now, um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. This is so wonderful. Hear this in the context of what we've talked about this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let me just go back. I want to just tap on a few places here. God has caused, by his great mercy, us, those who've responded to the gospel, us, to be born again to a living hope. This living hope is this eternal inheritance that's ours with him in heaven. We have been born again to this hope to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. We are protected by the power of God through faith. See, the testing of your faith is important because if your faith wanders, then the protection doesn't exist anymore. Ultimately, the way a person gets saved is by God's grace through faith in what God has offered. If a person loses their salvation, and I'm going to demonstrate to you that they can in a few weeks, They didn't lose their salvation because they committed a sin. They lose their salvation because they lost faith. So the the key to being saved is faith. The key to staying saved is faith. Ultimately, until the time when either Jesus comes and gets his church, we call that the rapture, or we pass from this life to the next in faith so that we can then have the inheritance that's been prepared for us. But anywhere along the line from having gained faith, saving faith, Till we pass out of this life, if we deny faith, if we lose faith, then we haven't got the promise anymore. The hope is gone when the faith is gone. So all of this testing of our faith is really, really important because it's the key to having a relationship with God is our faith. Protected by the power of God through faith. He talks about having been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's faith. Anybody actually seen Jesus? I haven't. I mean, I've felt him. I have a sense for him, but I've not been like the original apostles and seen him with my eyes, but I love him. What's the substance of that? Faith. 
though I don't see him now, but I believe in him. What's the substance of that? It's faith. And when Joe died a year ago, coming this Tuesday, I had faith. And when Tuesday comes and it's a year, I'm going to praise God because God's in control. And if God decided it's time to take Joe home, then I'm happy for it. I mean, I got to choose to be happy for it. I was pretty sad for it at the beginning, but then I had to say, no, wait a minute. God took him. If God took him, he's only going to do good, only going to be good. So faith tells me, no, I'm not going to curse God. No, I'm not going to be angry at God. I'm thanking God because he knows what I don't know. And he has blessed Joe and us in a way that I don't get to see now because I don't see him. We will someday if we maintain faith, right? And we stay in faith, we will someday. That, that's faith, man, and that's a test, and it's hard sometimes. You might not have money to pay your bills. God said he's going to look after you. Faith stands and says, God's my provider. General Motors, not my provider. Hewlett Packard, not my provider. Church on the street, not my provider. Jesus, my provider. I stand in faith. What does the Bible say? How do I know? How do I know? Because I, I read the Bible and the Holy Spirit enlightens me and then I take hold of it and I don't let go. And when the lie comes, I take hold of the lie. Every lofty thing that would exalt itself above a true knowledge of God, every speculation, every thought that won't stand obedient to Jesus, to truth, I cast it down. Why? Because it's trying to suck me into the mire of doubt and ultimately to the place where I give away my faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? To what end? That we endure in faith. Why, why even examine yourself? Because the devil and the world are constantly going to try to get you to deny faith. Try to get you to stand before the guy at the state fair and say, no, it's cool. Jesus is my homeboy. He loves me. But did you repent? Yeah, I don't know so much about that, but I'm a good person. It broke my heart. It's like I want to grab all of them and say, you believe in a lie. You are exalting a lie above the truth unto your eternal death. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. And if somebody's close enough to you that you can see, examine them. Help them in the examination. Because if they're exalting, I mean, it's not like you're worshiping a lie. It's a deception. It's a lie. It comes to you in such a way that it doesn't want you to know what it is. But sometimes I don't see the lie, but she does. Sometimes I don't see the lie, but he does. And then he confronts it or she confronts it. And she says, hey, that's not what God says. Oh. Forgive me, Lord. I repent from, from believing a lie and denying the truth and be free now. That's why we confess our sins and get free now. Lord, I was, I was believing something that was wrong and I gave in and I, you know, I took the guy's towel and threw it in a thing next to him and I'm, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. He will if I'm sincere. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves in your life. What does your life look like? Does it look like faith? When, when the trial comes, are you ready to deny God? Where are you, God? You don't love me if you love me. It's like that's the prayer that says get me out of this thing. Oh, Lord, I know. I had it happen. You've heard the testimony. I got a word, right? 
first time I start worshiping God, I get up every morning, five in the morning, man. I'm praising, and he shows up, and I'm in the most glorious tears every single morning. It's like I'm in heaven itself. And then after, I don't know how long, months, long time, nothing. It's like as dry as a bone. And I start getting mad. I'm like, where are you? It's five in the morning. I got up. Did you sleep in, God? Come on. Make, make me have this feeling again. I like the feeling, God. Nothing. Two weeks of whining and complaining. You know, God, seriously, here I am. Where are you? This is me, little baby Christian dingbat. Lady calls up, says, hey, tells her. <laughs> you want to tell me? Says, hey, I got a word for Pat. Teresa says, tell him. He says, I don't think he's going to like it. She said, that's all right. Tell him. She says to me, Pat, yes, I have a word from the Lord. What's that? It's two words. You take it for what it's worth. All he wanted to tell you is grumbling and complaining. I'm like, dang, I know what that is. That's only happening. If I, I'm not doing that in public. I'm not telling people that, you know, God didn't show up. That's in my private time with the Lord. Guess what? He was there the whole time. What was being tested? Me. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you as long as you bring me that, that joy that makes me have these awesome tears every day. Don't bring that. I'm not so in love anymore. Oh, Lord, you are testing me. And I told him, I swore I will, I didn't swear, but I will never, ever fail that test again. Come, go, make me happy. Don't make me happy, Lord. I recognize Jesus, what he did for me, whether he, you ever bless me in any other way is more than I could ever ask for. The testing of your faith. The testing of my faith. Is God awesome when he touches me? Yes. Is he awesome when he doesn't? Yes. Is he awesome when Ashley gets saved? Yes. Is he awesome when Joe dies? Yes. He's always God. He's always good. His intentions are never bad. That's my faith. I have it because I know. I have it because I know. I have it because I see. And when I don't see, I know. And that, I mean, sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I mess up. Sometimes I believe, I listen to the junk, and, and I have to repent. That's what this is. Everybody is going to go through trials. If you're not now, you got through one, and you're about to go one. Remember the thing, Israel in the wilderness, 40 years? It's like, Lord, how many times we got to go around this mountain <laughs> until you learn? So <laughs> your faith is where it's supposed to be. We can go round, and we can go round, and we can go round, but we can't go to the point where we deny faith, the testing of our faith. Okay, I'm starting to talk in circles again. Christianity, it's, it's serious business. It's life or death. If God would give us a vision of hell, we would be very much more so committed to other people. He's given me a little vision just to watching these people, and I'm going to figure out if I'm going to be Facebook evangelist, I'm going to be Facebook evangelist. I'm going to go and figure out a way to get people to talk to me, except on Tuesdays. Laura figured that out for me. Thank you very much. On Tuesdays, people will talk to me because people got to know that they're deceived. They got to know the truth. They don't have to choose Jesus. They can choose not Jesus. They can have their life. Jesus will not make anybody give away their life. But there'll come a day when they wish they did if they don't. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word that's true. Thank you that you have given us Holy Spirit. You've given us this Bible. You've given us the witness of history with Jesus and all the miracles that he did can't be denied. They're historical facts that we can trust and believe that he, all the fulfilled prophecies, oh my gosh, all these things for thousands of years that were spoken that would all come together in one person and they did. 
the statistical odds of that are off the charts, yet they did in Jesus Christ. He is Messiah. He is Christ. He is Savior, Lord. And I pray that if there's anybody, anybody that doesn't know him, that you will use us as your light and your salt in this world to share the gospel that's true, the one that has the power to save, and then tell people how they respond, how they must repent and believe, what that looks like so that they could come into a saving knowledge, and then they can grow in knowledge of you, and as they grow in knowledge of you, grace and peace will be multiplied in them, Lord, as you, as you test and try their faith, faith bringing about maturity and, and perfect likeness of Jesus in them and us. Thank you, Lord. I ask a blessing over everybody here.